Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. Amos chapter 9. Who's ever heard anyone preach out of Amos? You're like, I didn't know Amos was in the Bible. <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. Amos is between Joel and Obadiah. You're like, I didn't know those were there either. Um, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. It's right there. Amos chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 11. Verse 11. Now, I want to preface this. I know there's a lot happening right now with Israel and within that region. And as most of you, I'm sure you've been glued to the news and to the TV and to social media. Maybe you haven't. Uh, maybe you ha don't have no clue what's going on. That's all right. Maybe you have a little bit of clue what's going on, but you don't know too much of what it is. Um, I know there's many different ideas and thoughts out there, um, such as you've seen on social media of what is right, who is right, who is wrong. Let me uh, just help you with this understanding. First, we always want to come from a biblical understanding. From the word of God. We don't want to go by our feelings. We don't want to go by our emotions. We don't want to try to reason things out unless we have gone through scripture. Okay. Now I know that there are many different ideas and takes when it comes to Israel, when it comes to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that you, maybe you have this week, have studied on Google and typed on, are we supposed to pray for Jerusalem? Who's done that this week? Anybody? Nobody. Who knows what's going on right now? Just want to make sure. Um, am I supposed to pray for Palestine? Am I, what side am I supposed to be on? Who's right? Who's wrong? And I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I'm not going to be preaching a message today on Bible prophecy per se. I'm just going to mention a few things. But I am in November, mark your calendars, I'm going to be preaching on Bible prophecy. I've never preached on Bible prophecy a day in my life. But I've been studying for the past six months on Bible prophecy. And just so happens that this stuff in Israel takes place this week. And so it's just God preparing me to prepare the church for understanding. Bible prophecy is 33% of the Bible. 33%. And if it's that important, that's a huge percentage, then we must take time and read, study, and begin to find out what Bible prophecy is saying about the day and age we live in. Now, some would argue and say that Bible prophecy has nothing to do with today, that the city of Jerusalem has nothing to do with today. It's only his church and his church alone, and I understand that. And some would call that replacement theology. Now, I'm not going to get into all the big names and stuff because you are not interested in that, and I understand, okay? But we as a church must... Take an understanding and not be ignorant of what is going on in the day and age we live in. And I'm going to prove that by reading you what Jesus says. Because even Jesus in his own word, own word says, do not be ignorant. Ignorance is not having understanding, lacking understanding, not knowing the truth. And we don't want to be ignorant about anything. Amen? And I know at times that you have heard messages preached. 
Maybe you've heard your grandpa or your grandma or your great-grandma and their great-grandma preach about Bible prophecy and end times, and it's kind of a taboo thing. You're scared of it, or you're just like, oh, it never happened then. It's not going to happen now. I understand all the different feelings and emotions, but I'm going to show you what the Bible says and what we can do as a church in the day that we live in and how we should respond to what's going on and really the work that we should be taking uh, application in right now in this moment. But let me read to you in Amos chapter 9 a prophetic word that was given. In that day, verse 11, I will restore the fallen house of David. Hold on, let me just. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom. And all the nations I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. And he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and the grapes will grow faster and they can be harvested. Then they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards of the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands. And they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. Notice the word here. They will never again, never again be uprooted from the land. Who gave them? Who? Who gave it to them? Come on, everybody. God. Amen? And with this understanding... If you have done any history or history study of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, you would have known in 1948, after World War II, Israel became a nation. It was given to them by the president at the time, who was Harry Truman of America. And since that time, that land has become prosperous. If you know anything about the Holocaust, millions of Jews were murdered because of the rise of Hitler and because of the narrative that he preached and mandated that region to follow it. It was a massacre. They were not even animals. They were sadistic in what they did. And one of the things you saw in 1948 is Israel become, or Jerusalem become the capital of Israel. You saw the people, the Jewish people, get their land back. So if there's any argument whose land it is, God says it's theirs. Amen? We're going from a biblical understanding. Not from a historical understanding. Not from what some far left and far right say. No, what does God's word say? Okay? We have to go into the understanding of Everything that we believe from God's word. Amen? Now, God has given them that land since 1948. And let me help you. They're never going to be taken out of it. Because God's hands on them. They will never be uprooted ever again. They've already have been twice. Right? And if you've done study throughout the Bible, you know that two times they've already been scattered and exiled. We know even right now we've been reading Nehemiah. And they were put back in there, right? They all came back. And then what happened? They lost again, or they were sent out again, or exiled again. When? In 70 AD, when Roman Empire destroyed them. And we're about to read about that in a moment. 
Okay? So here's Jesus in Matthew 24. We'll go to Matthew 24. And it says this. I'm going to read a series of scripture. This is Jesus speaking about the future, about what is to take place. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. And he responded, do you see all the buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, this prophecy, because this is, remember, he's speaking something that has not yet taken place. So that means it is prophetic in nature. It hasn't taken place. He's speaking about something of the future that will happen. Now, this, what he said, took place in 70 AD when the Roman Empire destroyed the temple. And if you go through the history of how they did it, they literally caused every stone to be destroyed. They lifted up every stone because there was gold in the temple. They destroyed the whole thing. And there wasn't a stone left. And through the archaeological findings and the digging, they actually saw what they did in that time. And they can actually prove that what Jesus spoke came to pass. Okay? So with this prophetic understanding and with what Jesus has said, this has already happened. Y'all have to understand that. Because he's not talking about something that's going to take place right now in the day and age we live in. It took place already. Okay? Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him and privately said, Tell us what will all or when all this will happen. What will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. Say must. Must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. That means ethnic groups, ethos. They will, ethnicities will go against one another. And the kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains. Birthing pains, such as a woman, when she is contracting and giving birth, there are labor pains that they feel. Come on, I'm, women know what I'm talking about. I have no clue. I only saw what my wife went through. And that was intense. But it started out really slow. Then it got super intense. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. It's going to be like that. It's going to start contracting. There's going to be start birthing pains. And the closer it gets to those final moments, you're going to feel it. And I'm going to tell you, my wife, at the final moments, she was feeling it. That's why she got the epidural. <laughs> and, then, and some people are getting epidurals. It's all right, whatever. But I'm saying she needed it. Um, for both our sake, not like. <laughs> I just like, she could do whatever she wanted to. But all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Now, we know a lot of these things that he said took place within the apostles' lives. And we also know that it's taken place throughout church history. And it hasn't stopped even today. Do you know that people are still being persecuted and martyred for their faith? Now, I know where we live, we don't have that. Amen. Thank God. And... You will be hated over all the world because you are my followers. 
Jesus' words. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, or iniquity, or lawlessness will be everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom, come on, here's some good news, will be preached throughout the world so that all the nations will hear it, and the end, and then the end will come. All right. Now, I know there's a lot in there. I know for some of you, as I was reading that, maybe you got a little worried, a little fearful. And you're doing exactly what he said not to do. Don't panic. The title of my message is this. It's not time to panic. It's not time to panic. In these days that we live in, there will be two responses, or there will be two responses as a church we will have. Fear or faith. We will walk in fear. We will panic. We will be troubled. Or we will walk in faith, standing upon his word, withstanding with what comes against us, And holding fast to our confession of faith, holding fast to the God of hope, looking to Jesus. Or we will worry about everything, we will feed our mind, and we'll have anxiety, we'll get to a place of being overwhelmed. Have any of you this week felt overwhelmed because of everything that you've read and watched on the news? No? Okay. Now, I want to say this, just kind of help us in understanding. Now, there's going to be some people in here that have been so engulfed in what's going on. There's going to be some of you that probably just have a little bit of information. And there's going to be a third of you, or another third of you that says, I have no clue what's going on, and I don't really care to know. And I get that. I know that there are many different people in this room that have different thoughts, ideas. You're just worried about your own life. I'm just trying to make my ends meet. I'm just trying to live life. I'm just trying to get by. Let me help you. You cannot be ignorant of what is going on in the day and the times that you live in. We are the church, and I said this last week, that the church has to occupy, because Jesus said it, occupy till I come. Occupy what? Every area of life. Now, we are not just getting political for the sake of being political. We are not just becoming involved in the nation just because we can and we have an opinion and we can have a say. No. No, we are being involved and engaged in everything because we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And without salt, you cannot preserve anything. You know, back in the olden days, in order to preserve meat, what did they do? They would preserve it with salt so that it wouldn't get rotten and spoiled. Let me tell you, it's the same way in the world that we live in. Without the church, the world would be completely, utterly destroyed. It's because of his church that there is still hope in the world. It's because of the light of the world being us Christians who shine the light bright because of Jesus living in us, where the world today in this darkened state can have hope and can have light. It is through me and you today where the world is still able to function and still come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you weren't on the earth today, then that all means that people would perish. Who do you think will preach the gospel? Who do you think will do the work? Us. See, so you must understand what is taking place. You must not be so caught up in life and caught up in your own things 
to where you have no clue. But at the same time, you must not get overwhelmed with just all the information that is being pushed out in the day we live in. Because social media, internet, everything today, you can literally waste 10 hours a day just following every single little thing, especially on Twitter. I mean, it, it literally, a new thing comes up every single moment, right? And I want to encourage you, as you are watching what's taking place in the world, caution yourself. Caution yourself. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Because if you don't do those things, you're going to get overwhelmed. And you're going to see images, videos from both sides. It's going to be, it's just like it is right now. It's propaganda on both sides. And what you must be careful is that you don't get caught into any of those things, but you stay biblically based. You stay based upon his word. You stay based in the spirit of God. Again, I said this earlier, where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. If you are not in the spirit of God, if you're not being led by him, you're not going to have freedom in your mind. You're not going to have freedom in your heart. You're going to feel weighted, overwhelmed, and ultimately every thought and decision and opinion that you have will come from that place. And you're seeing that actually take place when you look at what people are saying. You can see people being manipulated and deceived, and it forms opinions and ideas that they say, and it just gets spread out all around the world. And what if it's not truth? What if it isn't reality? So in order to know what is truth and what is not truth, you stay centered in Christ. You have to. You don't get... And, and engage in arguments on Facebook. You keep your opinions to yourself. Come on. You learn how to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and you guard your lips. A foolish person speaks fast. A foolish person speaks their mind. A foolish person just lets it all out. Oh, man, look what happened. I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to get my page. I'm going to say what's going on. That's a foolish person. Because the reality is you are being a witness of Christ in you. And when you act like a fool, well, you're speaking of Christ. Oh, I know. Stepping on some toes. But the reality is if we get caught up in that stuff, then we... Lose the focus of what we are supposed to be doing as a church, as a body. You're not supposed to get caught up in those arguments and those things that have no meaning to them. No, you're supposed to preach the word of God, be people of prayer, and do the work that God's called you to do. Amen? Now, does that mean that I don't have a say and I don't have a voice in things? No, not at all. You always preach truth, and people are going to hate you or love you either way. Let me help you today. It is truth that we as a church and as a body must preach. And if it goes against the grain of culture, if it goes against what's going on in the world today, so be it. We will not live in timidity and fear because it goes against those things. We take stance based on the word of God, and you can let people know it. But if you don't do it in love, if you don't do it in the right heart, and you don't do it with the approach of, I want to bring hope to people, and hopefully those people can change their mind and their heart to God. But we know in all reality, some people just will not, that their hearts have already hardened and they won't hear the gospel. And even the Bible says that Jesus has blinded them to be able to see. 
And there are many people like that in the world today. But we, as the church, cannot use that as an excuse to just give our opinion to people. Amen? All right, look. Faith or fear? Now, we know that Jesus promises us that he will return. And we should not let our hearts get troubled. We cannot let the love within us for God grow cold. We must preach the gospel as he has given us time to do so. We must preach the gospel as he has given you time to do so. Amen? You have time right now to preach the gospel. And Jesus even said in 1 Peter 3, turn there for a moment. 1 Peter 3. Sorry, 2 Peter 3. Because some people, when it comes to the understanding of when will Jesus come back? When is he coming back? You know, you've heard it preached that Jesus is coming back. He's coming on a cloud. And this time, he's coming with a sword in his hand. Is that truth? Yes, it is. Is there hopelessness found in that? No, there's actually hope in that. He is the hope of our glory. There is great joy. There should be great praise knowing that he is coming back. Are we supposed to preach it in this day and age that we live in? Yes, it's been preached since even when Jesus left the earth. For 2,000 years, it's been preached. Now, we cannot become so caught up in the end times to where we become doomsdayer, we become scared, we get a bunker and we hide and we get a whole bunch of food and we're just scared of everything. No. You get an understanding that he is coming back. If he comes back in this day and age that I'm living, praise be to God, but I'm going to do exactly what he told me to do. I'm going to pray, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to do the work that he's called us to do. I'm not going to be scared because the reality is I'm not scared to die. How about you? I'm not scared to die. Have my body. It's just an earthly thing. I'm just in an earthly vessel with this hidden treasure within inside. Come on. Not to worry about death. No, you have life in Christ. Now listen to this. Speaking on the day of the Lord's coming, and this is written by Peter, who we know. He walked very closely to Jesus. Verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles, speaking of himself. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, Mockers or scoffers will come. That's first, Second Peter 3, verse 3, or verse 4 now. And they will say, or mocking the truth and following their own desires, verse 4, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Think about this. Peter's telling them, you're going to hear people saying, where's Jesus at? I thought he was coming back. How many of you have heard that? Maybe you said that. Maybe you mocked at what you heard because someone preached a message about Jesus is coming back. And you're like, yeah, I'll believe when I see it. I've heard that. See, that's the attitude that he's actually addressing and which we should not have. They'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Look at the excuses. Verse 5, it says, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, meaning he spoke the word, or he spoke creation by his word, let there be light, and there was light. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. 
In verse 6, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Come on, talk about Noah's Ark. And by the same word, he presents, or he, the, the present heaven and earth have been stored up for fire. And they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. We know that there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Again, I'm not going to get too much into that. In November, you'll hear a lot more. But this is where I want to stop right here for this part of First Peter, or Second Peter. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. One day, say one day, is like a thousand years to the Lord. Jesus, or God presented himself to Moses as, I am. I am time. I am substance. I am all the, I'm everything. I'm not constrained by nothing. I am. I'm omnipotent. I'm omnipresent. I'm, on, I'm everywhere. God knows from beginning to the end. He knows all things. Amen? He is. So one day to him is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. See, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Now, some would say, why is he being slow? What's taking him forever? Can't he see all the pain in the world? Can't he see everything that's going on? I mean, look, we've been through so many wars, not just even within our lifetime or our parents or their, our grandparents. No, even before that, in the 1400s, the 50s, I mean, look, life has been bad. There's been wars. There's been literally just the murdering of babies, the murdering of lives. But the Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Meaning, how do they come to repentance? The gospel must be preached. In Romans 10, it says, how can they hear if there's not a preacher? The gospel must be preached. And when the gospel's preached, and how do you know the gospel's being preached from someone? It always leads to repentance. Amen? So he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to that place of decision within their heart saying, I give you my life. You are Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I pick up my cross and I follow after you. That's why he's been slow in his return. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God. Look, he's telling you, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, meaning we preach the coming of our Lord. We're waiting for that day. There's great joy in it. It's not a fearful day. There's great praise in that. Now, if it happens in your day, praise be to God. But one of the things that we must understand, going back to Matthew 24, turn your Bible back over there, three things that we must do, and I'm going to break them down from Scripture in here. Three things. First thing is, we must be people that pray, we must be people that preach, and we must be people that are prepared within our heart as we are serving God. We pray, we preach, 
and we're prepared on how we live. Are you serving God right now? See, end times, or the, a, the academic word is eschatology, the study of last days or end, end times, should not determine how you view the word of God and how you view the church. Many people allow that to determine how they see the church and see God. And that word is called ecclesiology, the study of the church. No, we must first allow the study of the church, the study of God's word, to determine eschatology or the end times. Now, you say, I have no clue what that means. And I understand. And as we continue to grow in this, I'm going to help you learn. Because it is no, we can no longer be babes in Christ. We need to grow. We got to develop. We have to. We got to know the word of God. We got to know what he says on these things. Amen? And I know for some and many, they're saying, I'm still just struggling with sin. That's what I need help with. Let me help you. There's an answer to sin. Rely on the blood. Speak the blood. Live in his presence. You ain't going to want to sin. Amen? But let's move on a little bit to some other things. Is that okay? Is that okay? You're not bored? Okay. Again, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not going to do that. If you need a little bit of motivation, pray in the Holy Ghost for a little bit. Amen? Now, continuing in Matthew 24, I want to break some things out that I've read. Because I want to show you what we should be doing. Praying, preaching, and preparing ourselves. But in order to understand those three things, you won't be able to do it if you're panicking. Again, he says in verse 6 of Matthew 24, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. The word panic, also in other translations, says troubled. That word means to be disturbed, to be agitated, to be alarmed, to be unsettled. And that word unsettled means to be thrown into confusion. Think about right now how much confusion is on the earth because of wars, because of what's going on in Israel, what's going on between Hamas. There's so much confusion. People don't know what side to get on. As Christians, we must choose the side of God's word above all else. And we already know that God established Israel and Jerusalem as a city where his new heaven and new earth will be placed. Come on. Now, I know people here today can say, well, what about all the things that are taking place? What about all the murders that are happening to civilians, to children, to wives? And I am completely with you, but let me help you understand that we are living in a spiritual world and that there are different, I'm going to be very careful in my words. Thank you, Lord. There are, we live in a spiritual world and there are things that are governed by demonic entities, demonic spirits. And one of the things we must understand is how do you get rid of demonic spirits? First and foremost, you pray. In the spirit, you pray. That's, that's what we do to fight a spiritual battle. You pray for the people that are losing people on both sides. But you must understand, and I'm going to say this, that Hamas is of the devil. It's of the devil. It's of the devil. It ain't of God. And you must utterly destroy what is coming against you. You have to. 
You have to annihilate it. You have to get rid of it. And in war, innocent lives are lost. And it's sad. It's terrible. But one of the things that we must understand is we don't allow ourselves to become so political, right in our understanding, where we lose sight of what is really coming against them. It's a demonic spirit. Now, I could go into more of what it is, and I won't do it on live stream. I'm not going to. I'm going to be very careful with my words. But one of the things you must understand is that not everything you see is just in the natural. It is spiritual. If it is God's people, and if God gave those people that land and God's hands upon them, why is everybody going against them? Because it's the devil. It's Satan. And he knows his time is up, and he's going to do everything he possibly can to destroy them. And he already knows that he won't be able to because Jesus' words have already been spoken. Now listen, it says to panic means to be thrown into confusion. There's a lot of confusion today. War causes confusion. We must again see things through God's word. Be led by the spirit of God. Pray that both sides... Do things in light of God's word. But let me help you. You're not going to see that every time. You won't. But you got to make sure that you keep what should be centered, centered in your life. Meaning that's God's hand on those people. And we're not going to go against God. No. The Bible says that we don't curse what he's blessed. No, we bless those that he's blessed. Amen. Now I know the argument, and I can already hear it. Not all of them are Christian. Actually, the majority of them are not Christian. And come in November, and I'll actually go through an understanding of the Jewish people and teach you how God's hands on them, and at the time of the Gentiles will actually come to an end, where God will actually come to the Jews, and hopefully many of them will come to Christ. Amen. But one of the things that we are instructed to do is to pray. We don't have all the answers. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is not allow yourself to get caught up with what other people are saying. You can't justify the murdering of babies. You can't justify the raping of children and women. You can't justify it. I know this is a real conversation, but you can't justify it. This isn't a political stance. This is a biblical stance. In order to have peace, sometimes you have to fight. Go throughout the word of God. Read and how they got the, Can the land of Canaan. Give it to them. God gave it to them. He promised it to them. How do you think they got that land? Just walked in? No. They fought. They fought. I think about America. I'm an American. And I think about how America became what it is today. It fought its way to become a Christian nation. Now, we know in today's day and age that we live in, it's turned far from that. Even in Australia, how it became what it is today, it was through God-fearing men. Amen? I know some would argue with that, and that's fine. And that's okay. But I want to encourage you to not let your approach on things come from the rhetoric what is spoken of today, that you make sure that 
and what you choose to believe, because everyone can have their own belief, that what you choose to believe comes from God's word. It comes from God's word. It has to. It says to being thrown in confusion, thrown into it. Listen to this, an emotional uproar. Think about it right now. It's an emotional uproar. I mean, just yesterday, all around the world, people are saying, kill the Jews again, murder them. Now, you must know that Christians are the most hated religious group in the world. Now, if you don't know that, I'm going to help you today. Just go back and read. Go back and just see. And why is that? Because Satan is against God. He, again, is creating everything, or I'll say it this way, just like I've said it before. He is counterfeiting everything that God's created. He is anti-Christ. So everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. We are followers of Christ, so guess what? There's going to be followers of Satan. And they're going to do everything they possibly can to destroy and annihilate everything you believe and hold to be true. I know you were looking just for some soft message and just some upbeat thing. But we as a church must understand that life is serious. We are so conditioned in the day that we live in with luxury. And let me read something from 1 John 2 that actually speaks directly to that. 1 John 2. It says, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, you ready? Three things. The desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the, and the pride of life. Three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The reason why so many Christians have struggled with these kind of messages is because they're so indulged in their flesh. They're so influenced with what the world has put within them for years. We live in a society where there are weak men. We live in a society where people don't know what truth is. And it's because of what people have been trained and influenced by within the world. You don't believe me? Just look on the news. Look in the schools. But we, as men and women of God, must be people that are repairers of what is going on. How do you repair it? Through prayer, through preaching, and through preparing how you live right now in this day and age. It's so important and imperative as the body of Christ in this time to go out, get people born again, saved, set free. And by doing that, you know what we're really doing? We are preaching God's word. We are preaching God's truth. And if it does not line up with truth, then they will hate you. Do not be shocked if they hate you. Don't be shocked. If you're trying to get everybody to love you, you're trying to fit in, become relevant, and just get in with the culture, let me help you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. That's the truth. Now, we don't take that on as some form of, uh, you know, signal or a virtue signal saying, yeah, yeah they're going to hate me, so I'm just going to stir hate. No, that's not of God. And that's what some Christians do. They become radical. And they're like, well, they're already going to hate me, so might as well just keep on stirring the pot. 
No, that's not love. You actually don't even care about that person. You just care about people hearing you. That's not of God. 2 Timothy 3 says this, verse 2. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, mocking at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing scared. We live in a time where disobedience in the home is huge. And why is it? Because people have not been taught what family is. See, Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy the family entity. He wants to destroy what a man and woman should look like. He wants to destroy what marriage should look like. He wants to destroy what raising your kids should look like. And he has done a good job. But the church must recognize this and continue to preach truth and make sure that we influence families within this region and around the world. Just because you live in a day and age that accepts things and approves things does not mean that God does. Don't allow yourself to come to the false reality that, well, maybe God just changed his mind. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. It says they'll be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll just be common to them. The opposite of sacred is common. It's just common. This is where you get churches coming to a community hall with, you know, someone said, why do you say cakes? We don't have cakes. You're right, but I'm going to say it again. Cakes and coffee. I mean, we're just hanging out. We're chilling. You know, I'm just I'm trying to find a community where I can fit in. Where I can get a little bit of word, you know, meet, meet, my, meet my people. Build, build my tribe. We're on a journey together. <laughs> and why do I say it like that? Because that's not what God's called his church to do. God has called you to stand upon the rock who is Jesus preach the word of God, live a life that is completely sold out and sacrifice and submission unto him and do the work that he has called you to do. You can't do the work when you're just so focused on, I want to be comfortable. I want to just enjoy luxury. I just want to have what I want. No, serving God is dying to what you want, picking up your cross and following after him. That's what a life unto God really looks like is when you say, you know what? Maybe it's not about what I want, but it's about what you want. And your kingdom, in order to advance, must be preached and lived out through the way I live. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. You know, you want to know something? The greatest way that you can serve God is by walking in the Spirit. And I know you've heard that a thousand times, but that's the greatest way. Why? Because when you walk in the Spirit, you won't walk in the flesh and you won't produce the works of the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, kindness, meekness, Temperance, patience, and what else? Self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. Oh, there's many that act religious. Modern-day Pharisees, is all it is. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. Man, right there. Who are they rejecting? The Holy Ghost. The power of his word. They will reject the power because think about it. How did you get born again? It was by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then, boom, the power of the Holy Ghost made you from dead to alive. They will reject the power. Oh, I'm intellectually. I know the word. Well, I can tell you. 
all the scriptures and all their meanings. I know everything. And I have now come to a mental ascent. No, you're just religious. And it's dead religion. Stay away, it says, from people like that. I didn't say it. Timothy did. And ultimately, we know that God's word, the whole Bible, is to us. Stay away. So what does that mean, stay away from that? Think about that. Stay away from what? How do you stay away from it? Meaning that all forms of relationship now come centered around Christ. If it's centered around self-want, self-need. I'm holding on to my ungodly friends because I still get joy hanging out. I still get something from them. What are you getting from them? Hear me. If you're not winning them to Christ, if you're not ministering to them, if it's not centered on Jesus, what's the purpose of that friendship? What's the purpose of that relationship? If it's just casually waiting and casually just, well, hopefully they will, they see me, it doesn't work that way. Nothing that you treat as casual will just happen. You got to be proactive, take the initiative, and be very intentional with what you do in your relationships. I understand this is hard. I get it. Because the reality is when you continue to hang out with people such as that, it will influence you. It will cause you to not think properly, and it will cause you to be twisted in your understanding. And then it will cause you to reason God's scripture and God's word based on how that person feels. What do I mean by that? There are many people within our life that do not believe in the Bible. There are many people in our life that do not serve God that live for the world. And because our love for those people, it will cause us to twist our belief in God's word because ultimately we want to see them go to heaven. If you want to see them go to heaven, preach the gospel to them. Live your life unto that and show them that, but you got to be real with them and say, look, the way you're living is leading you to hell. You need Jesus Christ. You say, that's too real. If you are in the last moments of life, what Jesus said, treat every moment like it's the last moment. What if you were to die right now? And you got a whole bunch of friends that aren't serving God because you didn't want to say anything. You were too scared, too worried. I would be too worried not to say something to them. Now, don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that you can't hang out with anyone that's not a Christian? No. I'm talking about the intent of your heart of why you have a relationship and hang out with them. It has to be centered on they need to know Christ. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Now I know it's a process. Many people within my family, it took 10 years to get saved. And my father and mother just loved them through it. Loved them through it. And that's what we must do, is love them through it. There's people right now that I have a relationship with that do not believe in God, that do not serve God, that are serving the devil. But I haven't given up hope for them. I continue to love on them, preach to them. What I mean by preach to them, I'm not, look, it ain't like what you think, right? I take my Bible, we go meet up, like, all right, what you're doing, this is it, this is wrong, you're going to hell. No. It's when we get and we start hanging out, like, 
I just tell him, man, I was at church this past week. I was, I was training yesterday with one of the guys that I've been training with for a while. He's not as Christian yet. And I was telling him, he asked me, what have you been doing this week? Man, I'm actually been praying over Israel and praying over, those, over the people in that land, that they'll have peace, that they'll have protection. I've been praying for the world, and I've been praying for our church. And he said, what does that look like? I'm like, I'll tell you. And I just gave him. See what I'm saying? Did he get born again yesterday? No. Does he believe in Jesus? No. But I'm living my life as an example of Christ. I'm not getting around him and saying, all right, Christians for Sunday morning. All right, let's start cussing, talking about perversion. You know, we just start talking a certain way. I'm, I'm a completely different person when I'm with him. No. If he invites me to go to the bar, I'm not going to go. I'm like, no, you can come to church. I'm not going to the bar. I'm not going to put myself in that place. We must understand three things. I'm going to end right here. We must pray, preach, and prepare ourselves. Jesus said, don't panic. See, fear is what panicking is. And when you walk in fear, you won't be able to pray. When you walk in fear, you won't be able to preach. When you walk in fear, you're really not going to prepare for anything. You're going to be confused. You're going to be a person that is constantly controlled by your emotions and your feelings. You're going to have an emotional uproar. You're going to be startled at everything. But one of the things that you must understand that you must do is be a person of prayer. And one of the first things that we see Paul instruct Timothy is pray for your government. Pray for national leaders. Listen to me. I know you can have a lot of opinions about what's going on within Australia, within and around the world. I get it. But first response for a believer is prayer. It's prayer. You have to be a person of prayer. Why? It says so that you're able to preach the gospel. You're able to live a peaceful life. Do you know that when you just constantly just try to cause an uproar and go against everything the government is doing just for the sake of pride, that it's causing the church to not be able to preach the gospel? There will be times to stand, and then there will be times to pray. But let me help you. We always pray. In some moments of life, we will have to pray and stand. And in the season you live in, you got to check your heart. Am I just complaining for the sake of what I don't like? Now, if it's atrocities done to a, a group of people, I hope that you're not just sitting back saying, what about the other people? No, you need to recognize that demonically they are being attacked spiritually. And that's why you need to stand and pray for them. I don't have the answer to every single thing that will go on. I know that there will be a lot of loss of life, innocent life, and you've already seen that. But again, you must keep your heart in a place of prayer, not getting emotional. And really, the emotions and the feelings that you should be feeling is towards the enemy. And this is where you become fervent in prayer. The Bible even talks about a prayer that is like birthing pains. It's like, it's called travailing. 
How many of you have ever heard of a travailing when you pray? Maybe none? Okay. Some? Who? Yeah, a few. And the church doesn't understand that. They've never gotten to that point of prayer, and maybe I'll preach about it at some point. It's where literally the burden of what you're praying for gets so deep and anguish within you, you feel it. When I was praying this week, I got into that place of prayer, just praying for the lost souls of people that do not serve God, that had died a death that they shouldn't have died on both sides. No one likes to see the loss of innocent life, but it will happen. And it's a harsh reality. But have hope in the midst of it. Secondly, I said preach. We must preach the word of God. In Matthew 24, he says this. In verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all nations will hear it and the end will come. We're living in a time where technology has literally allowed that. Where you're seeing the gospel preached all from the four corners of the earth. And what we must do, continue, is to preach the word of God in this time. Don't get panicky. Don't get troubled. Don't get scared. But preach the word of God. Preach with your life. Love people. Give them hope. And then lastly... You must prepare yourself. And you see this as you go down a little bit in Matthew 24. And I didn't have time to read all this because there's a lot in it. In verse 44, 24 verse 44. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. First Peter, or Second Peter 3 said, it'll be like a thief that just comes in. You only know. You'll be so caught up. We must not be people that are just caught up with the pride of life, the love of money, the love of the world, the love of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. No, we must be people that hate the world. We must be people that are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, preaching the gospel, preparing a heart. If I was to ask you right now, the way you're living, how you are living, do you know if you're a Christian or not? based off your way you live. See, you need to take your life with Christ seriously. You don't need to do it just casually. No, you need to rely fully on the blood of Jesus that has made you holy and righteous. And how do you know you've done so? Love. And what is love? Forsaking sin. Repenting, forsaking, and walking away from it. Walking in the light of his word. See, when Jesus gave this to his disciples, it wasn't just to unbelievers. It was also to the church, to believers. There would be many that were so-called preachers in his name, casting out demons in his name. And when they die, they go to heaven. He says, and they give their excuse. I was preaching your name. We cast out devil in your name and said, I don't know who you are. Today, you must prepare your heart. And what do I mean by prepare your heart? Are you walking in light of the redemptive plan of his blood? Are you walking in light of what his gospel says? 
that he is Lord of your life. He has full reign over your life. Over every choice you make, over everything you do, does he lord you? You say, well, some things, but other things, no. I would encourage you to prepare your heart to have it open to receive everything that he has for you. Prepare yourself. Be ready. And how do you be ready? It's really easy. You just make sure every day you're dying to self, picking up your cross, you're following after him, you're serving him, you're loving him. That's what we do. That's what preparation looks like. When the Bible says that when we are not prepared, when the test comes, when the fire comes, will it burn up everything and nothing will last? Or when it comes, when it comes to burn and can to refine you, will you still be left standing? Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.